Thank you, guys. If you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. We have been journeying through the book of 1 Peter these many weeks now. And between our time together this morning and a Facebook Live video I'll do later in the week, we will finish chapter 5. Uh, we're only going to take the first seven verses this morning just for the sake of time. What we've been talking about as we've been going through the book of 1 Peter is that 1 Peter reminds us, for those of us that know Jesus as Savior and Lord, that we indeed are citizens of another kingdom. If we know Christ as Savior and Lord, we, because of this heavenly citizenship, are now aliens and pilgrims. We live in this world, we interact, we live here, but we recognize that we're not just here as consumers that are here to receive and to get. We're actually kingdom citizens here to give something. We're here to invest our lives in the gospel of Jesus Christ in a lost and dying world. One of the things that First Peter's made clear, though, is that as we journey this world, we face persecution and difficulty. We will face hardship and challenges. And while we face those as citizens from another country, what we recognize is God has provided help to us in the midst of persecution and difficulty and challenge. He's provided grace to us. And we've talked about some of the different ways God tries to help us through difficulty. One of the reasons this is so important is because I want to make it very clear that Christ never promises us removal from difficulty and struggle. What Jesus instead promises us is perseverance and sustaining through difficulty and struggle. And one of the provisions God has given you and I to help us walk through challenging seasons of our lives is the church. A few weeks ago, we talked about some of the one anothering that we're to do in the church, to serve one another, to love one another. But today we're going to turn our attention to a different facet of the way the church functions. We're going to talk about leadership in the church. And what I want to tell you just at the outset of this whole message is that the reason what you're going to hear is so important is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you need the church to walk through difficulty. And part of the reason you need the church to walk through difficulty is the church has leadership that's meant to help you sustain you through difficulty. One of the words you're going to see in this passage of scripture is the word elder, okay? And before we read it, I want to make sure you understand that this is not talking about older people, okay? Uh, I had someone in the first service come up and tell me, it took me about halfway through your message to realize you weren't talking about older people. So let me get that out of the way now. I'm not talking about older people. The term elder you're going to read in these verses is referring to an official leadership position in the church. You could use elder synonymously with the word pastor, okay? Pastor, elder, you could go synonymous with those words, okay? Today I want to show you why I believe pastor elders are a gift from God to the church, And how, as that gift, they help sustain you and me through difficult seasons of our lives. With that in mind, would you please stand to your feet as we honor the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. We read these words. So I exhort the elders, or pastors, among you, 
as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. This is God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word to us. Would you pray with me, church? God, we thank you for your word. We pray that in these moments, you would speak to us. God, I pray that right now you would break through distractions that we've all walked in here with this morning. Some of us have burdens about our family in our minds. Some of us may in this room be dealing with physical challenges, health challenges that are burdening us. Some of us are just distracted by the busyness of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would break through all of that. And I pray that you would minister your word by your spirit to the hearts in this room. God, as we hear from you this morning, would you help us not just to be hearers of your word, would you help us to be doers as well? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So the, the key idea that we're going to be talking about is that elders or pastors are gifts that God gives to the church. Now, before I jump headlong into this discussion, let me just give you a little background on how we got here, okay? When Jesus was walking this earth, he came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to offer his life as a sacrifice for you and for me, for our sins. Jesus did that. But part of what Jesus did as he lived and died and resurrected is he started to gather together and equip this thing called the church. Part of Christ's plan from day one was to die for us, to resurrect from the grave three days later, and then to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And when Jesus ascends into heaven, what he made clear is that he was going to give us the Holy Spirit who would empower an organism, not just an organization, but an organism called the church to take what Jesus had been doing and expand it all over the world. The church is about taking the message of the gospel, the reality that the kingdom of God is breaking into this world. We're to herald that message all over the world. And one of the questions that began to arise as the church grew in the book of Acts and other places throughout the scripture is how is the church going to function? Is it just going to be kind of a band of people that just kind of disperse all over the place without any leadership? Or is there going to be some kind of structure that Jesus is going to give the church? One of the things that's interesting when you consider this is that Peter, one of the last conversations Peter has with Jesus is in John And when Peter and Jesus are talking before he ascends back into heaven, he looks at Peter and in three different ways, he says to Peter, Peter, I want you to tend my sheep. And if you look in your Bibles at verse four in chapter five, notice what Peter says. 
He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So here's what Peter's saying. Jesus is this chief shepherd that is guarding us, protecting us, dying for us, interceding for us. But what's going to happen as the church grows and develops is Jesus is going to establish under shepherds, other shepherds under his leadership who will continue to guide the church. These elders and pastors that Peter refers to are the shepherds serving under the chief shepherd, which is Jesus. Jesus decides, I'm going to give the church leadership to help protect them, to guide them, to encourage them, to nurture them, so that the kingdom of God continues to progress. What I want to do this morning, with that kind of background loaded in your minds, I want to show you three ways elders or pastors are gifts to the church. Number one, the first reason they're the gift to the church is because they are designed to feed the church. They are designed to provide nourishment for the church. Look at your Bibles at verse 2 as Peter begins to command these elders. He says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now, Again, both in verse 4 and verse 2, Peter uses the idea of a shepherd to emphasize the fact that he wants people to have kind of a physical reality loaded in their mind to understand how it was to work spiritually. Well, what do shepherds do in real life? A shepherd is somebody who's with the sheep, right? They're caring for, protecting, guarding the sheep, oftentimes leading the sheep to places of nourishment where they can feed, protecting them from those that would harm them, even sometimes leaving the 99 to go after the one. Peter wants us to have that kind of image loaded in our minds in a physical way. And he says, in the same way that shepherds physically guard and protect and feed the sheep, there's a sense in which elders or pastors do that in a spiritual way. They're to spiritually feed, protect, guide, and nurture the sheep. And one of the things I just want to emphasize here is part of the reason elders are a gift to the church is because they indeed are meant to feed and nourish the church not with some wisdom or strength of their own ability, but they're to take them to the source of life where our souls can be fed. The source of life that God has given you and me to feed our souls is the Word of God. The Bible is the source of life. Spiritual shepherds lead the flock, the people of God, so that they can be nourished and encouraged. Why is it the Bible? Because the Bible, and one reason for the Bible being our nourishment, is because the Bible is where God makes the gospel clear to us. It's where he tells us who we are and who he is and how we can be made right with him. But the Bible is also our nourishment because when you become a believer, if you know Christ as Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And there's something that happens when I read the book the Holy Spirit has written and the Holy Spirit lives within me, there's something that happens in me where I'm fed and nourished. Now, one of the misunderstandings that I see consistently with this idea of nourishment from the Word of God is people that come to me and say, well, Spencer, I read my Bible for a while and I just, I just didn't get anything out of it. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you've done eight days of a, a New Year's resolution and you've been reading the Bible and you're going, I'm just not get any traction. Let me help you that for a second, okay? A lot of times when we think about reading the Bible, we think about it wrongly as something that's supposed to have an immediate effect on us, rather than recognizing oftentimes when I read the Bible, there's no immediate demonstrable effect. It's the same way nourishment works with you physically. 
How many of you, for example, over the last weeks may have had one extra piece of pie you shouldn't have had? Can I see a show of hands? Okay, there's a few honest people out there. Probably everybody should be raising their hands. But when you had that piece of pie in that moment, there was no immediate demonstrable effect. You may have had to loosen your belt a little bit. You may have had to sit down and take a break because you ate a little too much. But there wasn't in that moment a demonstrable effect. Do you know when the effect came? The effect comes about a month later when you go to your closet and you get a, piece of, you get a pair of pants and you try to put the pants on and you go, Honey, you shrunk my pants. I don't know why Shelly keeps shrinking my clothes. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? My, as I get older, my clothes keep shrinking. I don't know what's happening. But the reality is that's when I see that demonstrable effect, right? Much later. In the same way, oftentimes when we read the Bible... We read it, we spend time in it, we hear it taught. We're looking for some, I want it now. I want, to be, I want to see some kind of radical change in this very moment. And the reality is oftentimes that's not the way it works. Oftentimes it takes some time in the Word, getting this kind of nourishment corporately, privately, for me to see some demonstrable change in my life. So just a little side note, encouragement, if you're in the eighth or ninth day of a New Year's resolution where you're trying to read the Bible every day, in fact, we've got reading calendars on the back table that'll take you through the Bible in a year, don't give up just because in the moment when you read it, you don't see any demonstrable change in the moment. The reason pastors and elders are a gift is because they're the ones that continue to take us over and over and over again back into the Word. This is why, for example, in this church, the way we teach corporately is chapter by chapter, verse by verse, word by word through the Bible. Because what you need is not to hear from me. That's a good place to amen, by the way. You don't need to hear from me. I don't have anything for you. You need to hear from God. This is why last week I was so encouraged that we were packed out in here because I wouldn't hear. Uh, And I don't say that lightly. I wasn't here, and a lot of you showed up. You know why? It's because it's not about who's up here teaching. Because you know when you come in these doors, the Word of God is going to be open, and whether it's me or Michael or someone else, we're going to teach from God's Word. And so that really, I just want you to know how much that blessed me to see so many of you here. Some of you may not have known I wasn't going to be here, but you you came, and, and you were here to hear from the Word of the Lord. Let me just make this point succinctly. The reason pastors and elders are a gift is because they lead us to a source of life for our souls. The reason this office that God gives us is a gift is because they're the ones, pastors and elders are the ones that continually move people to engage, to learn, and to live the Bible. Number two, second reason pastors and elders are a gift is because they protect the church. They protect the church. Look in your Bibles at verse 2 again. Peter, exhorting these elders, says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And then he makes this statement, exercising oversight. This idea of oversight means it's somebody looking out for another person's welfare. Now, just a little theological sidebar here, just a little background, okay? This word is exercising oversight is the Greek word episkopos. It's where you get the idea of bishop. One of the reasons Riverview only believes there's two offices in the church, that's pastor, elder, and deacon, 
is because we think the office of pastor, elder, and bishop is one spiritual office. And one of the reasons we believe that is because you see all three terms used in this passage. Peter exhorts elders in verse 1 to shepherd the flock. That's the word for pastor. Pastor the flock, exercising oversight. So it's just a little side note. One of the reasons why we distinguish only two offices rather than three. Some of you may come from church traditions where there were three. We only have two because we believe pastors are the ones, or elders are the ones who are to look out to protect the flock. Now, what does Peter mean by this kind of protection or oversight? I believe primarily what Peter's talking about is protecting the church from false or errant teaching. And the reason I believe that's the case is because false teaching believed leads to false living. If I believe the wrong thing or trust the wrong thing, over time, it comes out of my life. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Since I have come here in this, at this church, uh, which, by the way, in March will be four years. Can you believe that? Uh, uh, since I've come here, I have unapologetically... Okay, <laughs> Jack's clapping for me. Thank you, Jack. I love you too, buddy. Uh, uh, I, I have unapologetically and unequivocally uh, attacked and gone after the prosperity gospel. Um, the prosperity gospel teaches that Jesus didn't just come to save you from your sins. He also came to save you from poverty or from sickness and you'll see people on the TV that'll say, well, if you just have enough faith, Jesus will not only save you from your sins, he'll also save you from ever having a lack of money. You'll always be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And what I want you to know from Joel Osteen to Joyce Meyer on down the line, that is not the gospel. Jesus did not come to save you from physical challenges. In fact, Jesus promised we would face difficulty. What Jesus promises is not removal from everything I find uncomfortable or uneasy. Jesus promises sustaining me through it. Jesus promises to give me something that's better than this world could ever offer me. And so what I've tried to do from day one is to say the prosperity gospel is not just a different denomination or religion or different kind of version of Christianity. The prosperity gospel is indeed another religion. It's another system of thought. It's not Christianity. And the reason I say that is because if you believe that Jesus came to give you everything you want, if you believe Jesus came to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, if you believe that lie, it comes out into your life and how you live. Because what happens in your life is you elevate the gifts that God gives you above the giver. That's the problem with the prosperity gospel, is I take what God gives me, and I make it more important than God himself. Please remember, church, God is worthy of our praise and worship if he never gave us a thing. And the fact that he gives us mercy and forgiveness is the essence of grace. So what I just did there, that whole piece that I just finished doing with you guys, one of the functions of a pastor elder is to keep the flock away from false teaching that would lead them to trust false things that would lead to false living, disobedience. The church is meant to be under the protection and care of a pastor. Why are they so much of a gift? Elders and pastors are gifts because they provide protection from deception. Part of my role here 
is to protect you from being deceived by false teaching. Now, here's what's cool about this passage. What Peter does is he gives us a case study. He gives us an example of how pastors or elders can do this in a local setting. And the example that he uses is not some aberrant, terrible, false teaching about Jesus or about God and the nature of who God is. What he chooses is a very practical sin that all of us deal with. The case study Peter's going to choose is pride. And he's going to show how we're to react to pride, but he's also going to show how elders and pastors are meant to help us work through this example. Okay, So watch how elders and pastors provide protection from deception in verses 5 through 7 with me as we look at this example. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter says the way you and I are to respond to pride in our lives is to humble ourselves. And to humble myself means that I'm submitting my life, I'm surrendering my life to God. I'm placing myself under his commands. In other words, I'm embracing the role of a supporting character and acknowledging that God is the main character. That's what it means to humble myself. The reason this humility that he describes here is essential is because of what he tells us at the end of verse 5. He says, God is indeed opposed to the proud. When I allow pride into my life, God opposes me. Pride is any form of me exalting myself to the position of God. So think back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. The very beginning of the Bible, we see pride's first entrance into the world. Because the serpent comes to Eve and he says, if you take this, you'll be like God. And the Bible says that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, she took it and ate and she gave to her husband who was also there. Why did they do that? Why did they eat from that tree? Why did they follow that? Because the serpent promised them that if they did that, they could be like God. And that sweeping entrance of pride from Genesis 3 on forward is what you and I deal with in our hearts. Our hearts want what we want. We make gratification our God if we're not careful. Anytime I exalt myself to the position that only is reserved for God, anytime I focus on self and worship what I want rather than what God wants, pride is showing up in my life. And the Bible says the way that you and I are to deal with pride is to humble ourselves. We're to lower ourselves. He even gives an example. Look at verse 7. He says, one of the ways you humble yourself is by casting your anxieties on him. I don't know if anybody in here deals with worry or stress or anxiousness. But do you know what the Bible's saying here about worry and stress and anxiousness? What the Bible's saying is that worry and stress and anxiety actually in extreme forms are a form of pride. Because what worry comes down to is worry comes down to a control issue. The reason I worry and I'm anxious and and get all worked up about something is because I think I've got to control this. I heard somebody say it this way one time. Worry is practical atheism. Because when I'm worrying, what I'm really doing is acting like God doesn't exist. 
acting like I've got to figure this all out myself. And so he says, one of the ways you humble yourself is by throwing these worries on Christ. Why? Look at your Bible again, verse 7. Because he cares for you. This is not some cold, detached deity who's sitting on some throne waiting to zap you with a lightning bolt. This is somebody who loves you and cares for you. Now, what's interesting about this is Peter makes it clear that our job is to humble ourselves and leave the exalting to God. He says, humble yourself, and at the proper time, God will exalt you. Can I tell you what the problem in my life? The problem in my life is sometimes I get those roles reversed. I want to do the exalting And when I do the exalting, God has to do the humbling. The the roles are meant to be, I humble myself and I leave the exalting to God. I'm going to let him take care of that. But when those roles get reversed and I begin to exalt myself, pridefully making myself the focus, God will humble me. Please hear me very carefully. God will either humble you in this life or he will in the next Because either we humble ourselves and become Christians and bow the knee to King Jesus and say we need you, we're broken people in need of grace, or we die and we face God and we're humbled then. When we try to stand before God in our works and our ability and God looks at us and says your best day is like filthy rags, we're humbled. Peter tells us, The best scenario is for you and I to humble ourselves and leave the exalting to God. Now, here's what's so special about this in relationship to what we're talking about. God gives you and I a practical way to do this. This is hard, right? Humbling myself before God. Pride sometimes is so icky in my life and there's so many layers to it, I don't even see it sometimes. How do I practically live this out? And the answer is verse 5. Look back at verse 5 with me. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. The church is meant to be a laboratory for humility. That's what he just said. The church and my relationships with other people in this family is meant to be a way that helps condition me to show me what humility really looks like. Both in my relationship to leadership, so he talks about elders again here, submitting to leadership, following that leadership, but also in my relationships to one another in the church, that I'm not here looking what I can get out of this place, but I come in here ready to serve and love one another, serve others. Here's the point that Peter's making. Our relationships in the church help us relate rightly to God. When I have to come to you and say, you know what, that thing the other day that I said to you, I was wrong and I'm sorry. I didn't mean to come across that way, but the way I spoke I know was out of line and I know I hurt you, I apologize. When I do that, when we have that kind of fellowship and we, 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 we apologize for one another and we serve one another, what we're doing is we're exposing our hearts to the kind of humility between one another, the kind of humility God expects of us in our relationship to him. Oftentimes, problems I have with God and my pride before him don't show up until I have relationships with other people. Oftentimes, relationships with others expose like a flashing sign pride in my life that I didn't see otherwise. This is one of the reasons why I believe it's important not just to attend a church, 
but to be a part of a church because it's only in the context of relationships that you're going to see these kinds of things. Why are elders and pastors a gift to the church? Because they're here to protect the church by creating an environment in which we can expose ourselves to these kind of situations to learn and see some of the sin in our own lives. Number three, and finally, third reason why pastors and elders are a gift to the church is because they serve as examples to the body. They serve as models or examples of God's grace. I want to be really clear about what I'm not saying, because I am a pastor elder, okay? I am not saying that pastor elders are perfect people. Um, You guys see this little blonde on the front row? Uh, You pull her aside for about two minutes, you would dispel any idea that I am perfect, okay? That would happen quickly. However, pastors and elders are meant to be exemplary people. They are meant to be examples you could look to to understand how to live out maybe some of the complex things God calls us to in this passage. Notice in verses 2 and following how he unpacks this, okay? Look at verse 2 again. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And then he gives three parallel statements. Watch this. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. That's number one. Number two, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then number three, verse three, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We just finished the Christmas season in the Plumley House, and there were numerous gifts that were opened. And I don't know if you've had this experience, parents, but oftentimes when my child opens a gift, I'm, I'm, I'm watching with bated breath because there's a good chance that whatever they open, I'm going to be putting together. You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, you got a 9,000-piece Lego set. Great. I know what my weekend looks like, right? Although Seth now, he's kind of he's doing his own thing. He's starting to want to build his own deals and do his own thing. But still, there's a sense in which I'm there helping and guiding that process. It is not infrequent when we come to building or putting together or assembling gifts or presents for me to get the instruction manual out and for me to start going through it and go, I really have no idea what I'm doing. And so what I will often do is get on this great thing called YouTube. And I will try to find a YouTube video of someone putting together the things that I'm trying to put together. Some of you are looking at me very judgmentally, and I'm not happy about it. Because I'm pretty sure all of you have done this too, right? Why do you do that? Because some person out there who has way too much time on their hands makes a video about putting some mundane thing together, right? Well, this person's way too much time on their hair and a lack of social life is my blessing because then I watch them put this thing together and it gives me a visual to see how to do this every step of the way, right? In the same way, God gives pastors and elders as visible representations of what the instruction manual we're called to follow looks like. Pastors and elders are meant to be this visible thing of going, okay, I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loved the church. I wonder what that looks like. That our pastors and elders, not perfectly, not without ever a fault, but in an exemplary way, could have some things in their lives that you could say, hey, I'm going to try doing that with my wife. 
Or, hey, I'm going to try doing that with my kids. Or, hey, the way, the way Spencer described his relationship and how he courted and dated Shelly, I'd like to try that as a single person with the person I'm going to marry. The pastors and elders are not celebrities that we prop up that, that are this you know, larger-than-life people, but they are examples that we're to show what the Word of God looks like in visible, physical kind of way. Here's the point, just succinctly. The reason elders and pastors are a gift is because they show us spiritual realities in such a way that they don't just show us what's the wrong thing. They don't just keep us from danger. They also show us what is good and right. I am not here just to tell you when you do something wrong. You ever know people like that, that the only time they come around is when you do something wrong? (laughs) You ever had a boss like that? That's not what pastors and elders are. Pastors and elders are, are, yes, protecting you from danger, but they're also coming along to say, this is what God's good and right commands look like in a practical way. So what I want to do is this. To keep this from being too ethereal and academic, I just want to close by giving you a couple quick points of application. Okay, Four application points. If this is true... If elders and pastors are indeed a gift because they protect, feed, and model the grace of God to a church, what should we do with this? Number one, first thing I want you to do is you and I must view pastors and elders rightly. Okay, We must let the Bible inform our view of pastor elder. Let me tell you why this is so important. Some of us can let our experience in church or experiences good or bad with pastors and elders shape how we view them today. We can let past experiences, good or bad, shape how we view pastors and elders today. So some of us may think, well, Spencer, you're the person we pay to do ministry for us. Some of you may think, you're the person we pay to be the upfront person to try to get a lot of people in here so the church will grow. Some of you, however, may think, I don't trust you because of what I've seen pastors and elders do in the past. All of us come with different sets of experiences, good or bad, with which we view this office. And all I'm saying is, despite your experience, despite what you may have experienced, good or bad, we need to let the Word of God shape how we view this office. What is this office? This office is not a celebrity. He's not a hired hand. He's a servant leader who's meant to protect, feed, nourish, guide, and model the grace of God to a group of people. So what I want you to do just at the beginning of this kind of mini-series, we're going to do this for three or four weeks, talking about biblical leadership. I want you and I to just check ourselves and our hearts. Lord, how am I viewing this office? Do I see it as a gift Or do I view it as someone that I'm to be suspicious of? Number two, second thing I think we've got to do is we have to recognize that the teaching ministry of the church should be the church's priority. We we do a lot of things here in this church. We've got ministry going on in the community. We work with kids. We work with teenagers. We take mission trips. But I would submit to you, if indeed it's true that what feeds our souls and what's going to feed the souls of the people in this community is the word of God and the gospel, all of those things notwithstanding, the most important ministry we have as a church is the ministry of the word. 
Now, please hear me clearly. I'm not talking about just 8 o'clock and 1045 in this room. I'm talking about the ministry of the Word that's happening right now downstairs, the little ones in our building. I'm talking about the ministry of the Word that happens throughout homes on Wednesday night with our youth. I'm talking about the ministry of the Word that happens over cups of coffee as we bring the Word of God to bear in the reality of life. That ministry of the Word is the foundation. Now, here's why that's so important. Some of you, one day, may not live in this community. In fact, I'm looking at some of you. I know pretty sure that in a few years may graduate from high school and you're going to go to college. Some of you may have a job, transfer you to a different place, and you're going to have to look for a new church. And when you do, the most important thing that you should look at is not the style of music that they have. It's not what programs they have for my kids. It's not, do I find the pastor funny or overly engaging? The question that you need to answer is, what does this church believe and what do they teach? Now, those questions I asked a moment ago, those need to be asked, but they need to follow the number one question list is, what does this church believe about things like the Bible, about Christ? Don't assume when you walk into churches that you know what they believe. Take time to study that and understand that. Number three, third thing I think we need to do if we're going to take what we've heard this morning seriously. We should recognize that churches should conform to the biblical pattern. The biblical pattern of pastor-elder leading and shepherding and guiding the church should be the pattern we seek to conform to as a church family. Now, I say this because, in part... You know, many of you know, some of you don't, that our church, several months ago, empowered our deacon body, 13 men in our church family, to study the issue of biblical leadership. And they're going to give a report on that in the next coming weeks. I'm happy to tell you that next Sunday, the 15th, is when they're going to finish this month long, months-long study. But I want you to know that there are going to be some challenging things I think these guys are going to present in their study of the Word, about how we should should look at the organization and leadership structure of this church. And I say all that to say this, I just want you and I to be open to what the Word has to say to us. I want us to be open and go beyond, well, this is the way we've always done it, Pastor, or this is my experience and the way I've seen it work at this place or that place, or I just don't like change, period. I want us to be open, not to my agenda, or to our deacon's agenda, or to any person's plan, I want us to be open to what the Bible has to say about this. You with me? So tonight in our business meeting, we'll talk a little bit about that. We won't get in-depth into that, but I just want you as a church to recognize we want to make sure that the way we're functioning as a body lines up with what the Bible has to say to us. Fourthly and finally, and I might add most importantly, If what we've seen is true about pastors and elders, you need to pray for us. You need to pray for us. This past week, um, I had the privilege of going to uh, Europe to meet with 1,300 of our missionaries. Um, The missions organization I serve as a trustee of um, every year sends us. They pick up the bill and send us internationally to meet with our missionaries. 
I cannot tell you publicly where some of these missionaries are serving. Just can't do it. They're serving in some of the darkest, hardest to reach places in the world. And as I met with these 1,300 missionaries, I only got to know, you know, 20 or 30 of them closely over meals and in the hallway over cups of coffee. And as I sat and talked to them, I would hear about their work. I would hear about their hopes and dreams. I would look at their family. Many of them were just like me and you. They're not Superman. They're not Superwoman. They're just like me and you. And they, they have little kids, and they've got problems, and their marriages are tough. And the most powerful moment, though, in these conversations with these missionaries is at the end of the conversation when I would look at them and say, how can I pray for you? How can our 40,000 churches that you're a part of that are supporting you, how can we pray for you? And for them with tears in their eyes to say, you could pray for this, you could pray for this, you could pray for my mom who's sick back home who I can't go see because I'm here in this other country. You can pray for my teenage kid who's being rebellious. You know what the things they listen they, they listen to the things that you and I are dealing with too. And I prayed with them. And I say all that to say this. Some of you may have a negative view of pastors and elders because of previous experience with pastors and elders letting you down. This community, specifically, the church scene here at the lake, has seen a lot of that over the years. And it's easy to look at the office that I'm in with suspicion or uh, just lack of trust or I want you to know that of the scores of people who have been pastors, past, present, and future, not a one of us are immune from making a ministry-ending decision. And that includes me. And so when I ask you to pray for me, and ask you to pray for our pastors and elders, I'm asking you because the enemy hates what we're doing. Hates what I'm doing. Hates what we're doing as a church. And if you don't think spiritual warfare is real, line up here after the service and I'll tell you some of the conversations I had with these missionaries over the last week. It will curl your toes. Because that's real. Because they hate what we're doing, I'm asking you to pray for us. Marriage is hard for me just like it's hard for you. Raising kids in this world is hard for me, just like it's hard for you. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders. Pray that God would protect them. Pray that God would hold us faithful. And if I could just say this, pray most of all that we would never leave our first love. As much as I love this beautiful blonde in the front row, my first love is Jesus Christ. Pray that God keeps my heart soft to conviction in my life. Elders and pastors are a gift to the church. Some of you may have been burned by them. It doesn't change that they are a gift. My challenge to you is that you'd see them as a gift because they protect us, they feed us, they model this, but because God ultimately in his word says that's what they are. We've kind of backloaded our worship service this morning. We're going to sing a couple of songs. I want you to take this time as we close this morning to pray for me, pray for our pastors and elders, but I want you especially to take some time as we worship together as a family to pray for this church. These next months are going to be critical and important as we consider and try to conform what we're doing 
They're the pattern that God gives us in his word. Would you pray with me, church? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how your word speaks to us and challenges us. And God, you know that in my time studying this this past couple weeks, um, God, I feel the weight as someone who's in the role of pastor or elder. I feel the weight of this position. God, would you help this church to be a church that prays for, holds accountable, lifts up her pastors and elders. Lord, I pray for people in this room who may have been burned by a pastor or elder, previous experience that's left them a little bitter or cynical about church life. God, I pray that even in these few songs, you take your word and you would, like a salve, apply it to their hearts and provide healing to them. Finally, Father, I pray for anyone here who does not know you. I pray that they would see that pastors and elders are a reflection of your heart for them, that you love your people, that you love them. And that while pastors and elders are an expression of that, Lord, we see your love most brilliantly and beautifully in the fact that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, that as we sing these songs, that you would open their eyes and show them that they need Jesus Christ. God, we pray that as we sing, you would take time, that your spirit would take this word and drive it deep into our hearts. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?